Cassie couldn't remember the last time she had allowed herself to visit her special dream. Ever since the wild night in the lid that resulted in the disappearance of the security officers, and on top of Ludo's creepy revelation that he had been spying on her in her dreams, and compounded by the increasing impact of her art on the world outside her canvas, Cassie had avoided the place at all cost. Yet it was such a part of her experience that awakening once again within the cozy confines of her rocky nook felt reassuring. Leaving the ever-present portfolio behind, Cassie crawled out of the cave and scampered briskly to the upper ridge, where she scanned the scene that spread before her, as if seeing it for the first time. The cliff face appeared as it always did, with its numerous craggy outcrops that made for easy climbing. The simplest path leading to the large cavern opening that arced over the rushing stream that flowed off toward a forest of twisted roots and vines to what she assumed to be south, based on the verdant greens which provided a stark contrast to the cold, craggy white mountains that stood shrouded in mist in the opposite direction. For some reason, she spent little time considering those majestic peaks, her eyes scanning quickly past them at every errant glance. As for the forest, Cassie had never ventured far enough to reach those verdant hills, trusting an inner instinct that told her nothing but nightmares awaited in that direction. Checking for any odd noises, Cassie proceeded to walk along the ridge until she reached the lip of the lofty cavern mouth. Here, she let herself down along a set of handholds that she used often enough that traversing them had become an afterthought. As her feet landed on the soft, sandy soil that covered the cavern floor, she was confronted by a prickling sense of being watched. Hello? Hello? She called, tentatively at first, and then with more authority. Is anyone there? Ludo? Ludo, if you can hear me, you better get out of my dream. Cassie didn't expect to hear a reply, but she also wasn't prepared for the sight of a single trail of footprints along the far side of the cavern spring. Ludo, did you actually manage to make it into the dream? Again, there was no reply as Cassie approached the rushing water and squinted in an attempt to bring the faint tracks on the far side into clearer focus. Whatever made these marks had been wearing some sort of flat-soled shoe. Of that she was certain for there were neither toe marks nor any marks indicative of heels or tread. But the shape was distinctly bipedal and shoed. Cassie estimated that the imprint was close in size to her own. Could this be one of the missing students? She mused aloud, her stomach fluttering nervously at the thought. Judging by the direction of the impressions, the footprints appeared to have come from inside the cavern and were leading away and down along the shoreline of the swiftly flowing stream. Let's see. Follow the prince back into the deep dark cave or out along the stream. Cassie shook her head <laughs> with a chuckle as she began to walk away from the cavern in the direction that the footprints were leading her. After some time, she spied a small bridge ahead, straddling the water. But as she began to move more quickly toward it, she felt a jostling on her shoulder. And without warning, she was back in her bed with Sarah gripping her shoulder and shaking her awake. Oh no, you don't. No going to sleep this early for you. You've been avoiding me for days, and tonight is the night we're supposed to be meeting. 
<sighs> but I'm so tired, Sarah. Perhaps another night. Sarah dropped a sweatshirt and joggers onto Cassie's bed in reply, which Cassie reluctantly pulled on before climbing down to the floor and stretching sleepily. We'll leave in a couple of hours, once the coast is clear and all of the evening activities are complete. Whittle can't come until our audition is done anyway, but the plan is to exit out of the window and to the left. We'll keep going until we get across the lane and into the trees. Once clear of sight, we'll circle around the men's dorms to pick up Ludo and then head to the rear entrance of Dykus Gallery. I taped the latch open after cleaning up tonight so we won't have any problem getting inside. Sarah smiled smugly at the thoroughness of her plan. Can't we just talk like normal people during the day? What's with all the sneaking around? Cassie was eyeing the covers on her warm bed, especially interested now in returning to her dream and investigating those footprints. Well, if you weren't Miss Perfect being invited to the quib with all the big kids, we probably could. I never see you anymore, so this is how it has to be done. Now, I've got a couple more things to do, but I'll be back in about an hour. Don't you dare go anywhere, and no going back to sleep. True to her word, Sarah left and returned within the hour, pointing quietly at the window after laying a finger to her lips to indicate silence. Time to go. All is clear. With that, the roommates climbed out the window landing softly in the grass, a crescent moon shining brightly overhead. The planned escapade took little more than half an hour before the four of them, Ludo, Sarah, Whittle, and Cassie, were huddled together outside the rear door of the gallery. Evenings had grown increasingly chill as the season turned toward winter, and Cassie was already feeling the cold seeping through her sweatshirt. Wait. What if Mr. Zeltix is in her office? Cassie was looking for any reason to avoid this inevitable meeting. She and the headmistress are both off campus tonight for that fundraiser in the city. You know that, Cassie. You're just stalling. Sarah pushed through the door and held it open for the others, slowly closing it as they all moved more deeply into the room and away from the windows. Once they were inside, Sarah pulled a few of the stools into one of the mudrooms down the back corridor and led the group in, watching like a hawk as each took a seat around a makeshift table. Atop the table sat a campus map with a number of markings and other notes. Sarah had been busy. Since our little princess here has been avoiding us. That's not fair. I agree, responded Sarah with a look that indicated that she was in charge of this meeting. The rest of the team has been busy compiling notes and research while you've been napping cozying up to the masters. Really? Cassie was simultaneously reacting to both the statement and accusation, but the acknowledging gaze from each of the others suggested that she was the one out of the loop. Jealous, Cassie? Whittle queried with a sly smile, though Cassie detected something of a somber note in her eyes. Mindful that she would have to ask Whittle about this later, Cassie turned her gaze to the map spread before them on the table. So, so was all of this. This, this is our own string theory map. Each point highlights the disappearance of a student or, or staff member. Ludo caught Sarah's sharp gaze. Uh, uh, Sarah's been compiling it, so I suppose it would be best if she, she explained it. Nodding, Sarah smoothed the map out slowly before responding. Wit here was very helpful in piecing together a lot of what happened last year. Wit? We're going by pet names now? Try to keep up, darling. Whittle responded with that sly smile and hint of sadness once again. Are you all right, Whittle? It's nothing. 
Auditions didn't go very well tonight. Weedle didn't offer more, deferring to Sarah, who was waiting impatiently to get on with the purpose of their meeting. As I was saying, in addition to what Whit provided, I got my brother's help to dig up additional information about the other students and staff that have gone missing. If the timeline is correct, these disappearances started shortly after Headmistress Floquet's arrival. Wait, you brought your brother into this? Jeez, Cassie, we're gonna be here all night at this rate. Trevor doesn't have a clue about what we're doing, and he wouldn't turn us in. I'm his adorable baby sister, remember? Anyways, he's way too focused on completing his final season and getting into Rimald. Besides, we need to use the resources at our disposal, Cassie, or we'll never get anywhere. If you didn't notice, there's something big going on here, and the headmistress is at the center of it. Cassie wanted to slap the whole lot of them, but decided this wasn't the time or place, outnumbered as she was. Fine, so you have a plan? Of sorts. We weren't expecting you to get access to the quip, but that actually speeds our timeline up significantly. Well done, girl. Doing us Judy's proud. This time, her smile felt more natural. There's not really anything interesting in that building, aside from the room you took me to, Whittle. Cassie was not about to give way to Sarah's rather horrific shortening of what was a perfectly good name. But I haven't gone down to the lower levels. It's just been a lot of boring lectures and weird one-off assignments. Cassie finished with a distinct lack of enthusiasm. Honestly, she had been hoping for something much more grand. But in reality, it was just more work. Oh? What kind of assignments? They have me doing impressionist work. I'll watch one of the dillies or listen to a performance and just paint. Usually with a limited color palette. It's pretty boring, really. And no, I'm not using any of that odd paint we found, Whittle. Indeed, Cassie was definitely not going to start calling her wit. Do they let you keep the art? No, but I usually sketch the likeness of it with some notes in my notebook. As Cassie said this, Sarah dropped the very notebook in question on top of the paper map. Hey, that's mine! Why did you bring that? How did you get that? Without asking me? Cassie was honestly upset at this, feeling even more betrayed than she had when the meeting first began. Not only was she out of the loop, but now she felt like a tool. You leave this lying around all over the place, Cassie. Do you have any idea how important your drawings have been to figuring all of this out? Sarah's cavalier attitude was not in the least reassuring. What's going on here? Are you all my friends or am I just some tool for you to use? Going through my private things, meeting without me? I, I think I've had enough for one evening. Cassie, listen. No, you can't spy on me and my dreams, steal my artwork, tail me on campus. How does any of this feel right to any of you? You know what? I discovered something that's actually useful tonight and I was going to share with all of you. But now, you can have your little private club without me. Cassie grabbed her notebook as she sprang to her feet and ignoring their protests, ran toward the exit and out the building into the cold night air. Her cheeks were flushed with rage and embarrassment. How could they treat her like this? Why couldn't she just be a normal student without all of the insane positioning and intrigue? This was a mistake. Just a huge mistake. I should never have come here. She whispered as she trotted across the quiet campus, clutching her notebook closely to her chest, eyes cresting with tears. 
As Cassie ran, head down and careless of where she was going, she began to hear the bubbling sound of a swiftly flowing stream, which drew her up short, her breath coming in quick gasps from the exertion. How? How am I back here? As she took in the familiar landscape of her nightly dreams, Cassie spun around in confusion, still clutching her notebook. The huge cavern and cliff face stood dark and ominous behind her, the rushing stream to her left and the bridge just ahead of her. It was as if the entire meeting with her friends was the dream and this was the reality. Sarah? Whittle? Ludo? Cassie called out, but as before, there was no reply, just the bubbling of the brook and the wisp of a light breeze. Confused yet? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you were. Cassie spun around with a start at the sound of the unexpected voice and nearly dropped her sketchbook as she saw what was talking to her, or at least what she thought was talking to her. For there on the ground, standing no more than a foot tall, was a slender, softly glowing creature that, if she was not mistaken, looked very much like the school's cartoonish dragon mascot. <laughs> The little creature bubbled contemplatively as it blinked big white eyes up at her, swishing its spiky purple tail back and forth like a feral cat. Hmm. Looks like you'll be waking for real now. The next time you return, come and find me. I'm not actually supposed to talk to you, but, um, but I think in this one instance, it's for the best. Once again, Cassie began to feel a jostling on her shoulder. And then without warning, she was back in her bed with Sarah gripping her shoulder and shaking her awake. Oh, no, you don't. You've been avoiding me for days now, and tonight is the... Tell me this is... This is real this time, right? Jumping back abruptly from the edge of the bunk where she had been standing in order to reach Cassie's shoulder, Sarah's fierce glare melted into a look of concern. I told you what I'm doing at the quib, right? Cassie sputtered as she untangled herself from the sheets and slipped down from the bed, noting the sweatshirt and jogging pants that Sarah had gathered in her left fist. You haven't told me anything. That's why we're meeting tonight. Cassie, are you all right? We're meeting at the gallery in Mudroom C. You have a map set out and you've invited Whittle and Ludo. Am I right? Sarah blinked at her in complete shock and lost for words. We need a change of plans. We need to meet somewhere else, and this can't wait. There's something I need to tell you all, but I need to change the timeline just to know that I can. But Whittle is in auditions right now. She won't be free for at least an hour. Sarah protested, but Cassie was already dragging her out of the room, through and down the main corridor. Sarah still clutching her athletic clothes. That's perfect. We'll meet there, and maybe we can stop her. I don't think... Her audition is going to go very well. Master Adonis stood poised at the front of the theater, atop a riser that stretched over the first few rows of seats in the center of the auditorium hands on hips. The disappearances were bad enough, but when they impacted his casting, well, 
He was fuming at this point. Next? Who's next for Ishtar? I can't believe I have to recast this late in the season. What a disaster. I believe... Uh, Miss Apple? I believe she is next, dear. Cressida stood on the floor next to the riser, clipboard in hand as the short list of eligible students dwindled ever further. Whittle was a stretch as a percussion major, but Cressida had heard her sing before and felt it was worth a try. She is a third year. Percussion. Percussion? What in the devil's brooch? Adonis trailed off as he stepped to the edge of the platform and held his hand out for the clipboard. Let me see that. Are we truly down to percussion now? We've been through all the fourth years that don't already have parts and the third year vocalists. She has the right tone and her physique is perfect. I've already tested her on the choreography and she's flawless with that. Master Donna snatched the clipboard and let out a long and dramatic sigh. <sighs> oh, very well. Miss Apple, Miss Apple, you're up. Just a cappella. Give me the first few lines of Gilded Cage. Whittle had been waiting nervously in the wings. She had watched the last three girls get cut to ribbons by Master Adonis and felt that they were actually quite good. But at Walgrove, quite good was rarely good enough. With a calming breath, Whittle straightened her posture and walked onto the stage. She wore a loose-fitting sweater. Her hair was down, and she'd even put on some lipstick and mascara, which was exceedingly rare. Quavering at first, Whittle began unaccompanied, her voice low and airy. Secret glances, sparking wonder, tearing at your heart's resolve. Deep within, we're lost, forgotten, come for No, them. no, come on, girl. You play percussion. You know how to hit something, don't you? I need to hear you out here, not just see you. Nodding. Whittle cut a quick glance across the stage to where Willem and Trevor both stood. The two senior men were fighting for the lead role. Both, she felt, were exceptionally talented, and both looked determined as they watched her, knowing that she would be their duet replacement for Janice. Well, come on! We don't have all day! Whittle began again, slowly working through the lyrics until she reached the chorus, at which point she was again waved off with a furious fluttering of papers. Gracious child, you're not a baritone. Take that up an octave and let me hear you. The voice was cutting and sarcastic, making Whittle wince. Seeing her recommendation flagging, Mistress McLean walked to the edge of the stage and motioned for Whittle to come closer. You can do this, dear. Just put him out of your mind. You know the words. Just sing. No, she obviously needs someone to show her. Willem? Sing her part, up an octave, and show her how it should be done. The distraught voice of Master Adonis rang over loudly through the theater, causing many of the other young scholars to cringe, only too glad it was not them in Whittle's place. Whittle let out a deep sigh of frustration as she knelt to the edge of the stage, planted a hand along the edge and vaulted down to the floor next to Mistress McLean. My dear, now isn't the time to give up. The mistress's voice echoed haughtily in the back of Whittle's head as she stalked away toward the exit. Even if she stood a chance at gaining the part, nothing was worth this amount of humiliation. 
With her head down, she absently barreled straight into the chest of a young man who managed to deflect the blow and catch her gracefully from tumbling headlong to the ground. For a moment, the familiar arms of Willem encircled her. He was one of the two senior men vying for the lead, and his statuesque, almost too perfect figure was only surmounted by the fact that he was also one of the nicest and brightest young men in the school. Sorry about this, Whittle. You're doing well, and Mistress McLean is right. You shouldn't give up so easily. Whittle softened a bit, but extracted herself from his arms. Too bad you aren't my type, Willem. Oh, so there's hope then. The senior man responded with a grin that didn't reach his eyes. Well, your advice goes both ways. Um, my what? Don't give up hope. Whittle replied as she lifted a hand to gently cup his cheek, her dark eyes sparkling in the dimly lit theater. Everyone had noted how off he was since Janice's disappearance, but no one had yet been willing to broach the subject directly with him. Taking her hand gently by the wrist, Willem blinked slowly and looked back into her eyes. <sighs> Let's hope so, he said before moving smoothly up the steps to the impatient call of Master Adonis. Let's go, Willem! Remember that everything you do between here and November goes into the decision. It's you or Trevor. Now sing! Having shouted this, Adonis whispered knowingly to Mistress McLean. Hmm. I suppose they do have chemistry. But that was all that Whittle heard as she pushed her way through the exit door, flooding the auditorium with light and a burst of chill, brisk air to the collective groan of those inside. Whittle hadn't made it outside by more than a few steps when she caught sight of Cassie and Sarah jogging up to her. Ludo in tow. There you are. Here I am. Oh no, we're too late. Continued Cassie as the trio came to a stop in front of Whittle. Too late for what? Whittle stopped and turned her head slowly toward Cassie. To tell you not to try out and... <sighs> I'm sorry it didn't go so well, Whittle. Um, and how could you know? Oh goodness, I, I don't think you're a bad singer, Whittle. I just... Um, somehow the dreams are letting me see into the future now. The words had tumbled out without any sense of caution at all, and Cassie found herself clamping a hand over her own mouth as Sarah grabbed her arm and tugged at her with a firm look on her face. To the gallery, all of you. I guess our talk can't wait now. This bought Sarah a look of annoyance from all three of the others, but she shrugged it off with a sniff and the knowledge that she was right, and they would follow. As a small group of friends walked quickly across campus, Jimmy Franks peeked out from behind the tall column against which he had been leaning while waiting for Trevor Dawson to exit the auditorium. He hadn't intended on spying in on their conversation, but he had to admit he had a certain knack for being in the right place at the right time. I wonder what you four are up to, he muttered as he stepped from behind the shadows and casually began to stroll toward the gallery. But just as he did, the auditorium doors opened once again. This time, it was Willem that stepped out and looked around until he spied Jimmy strolling by. Hey, Chopper, did you see that girl, a whittle? She just left through these doors a moment ago. Maybe, Marshall. What's it to you? Replied the slightly shorter Jimmy as he slid his hands into his pockets. If you were a man on this campus interested in catching the eye of one of the women, you would eventually come to hate Willem. 
At one point or another, you would either be compared to him by one of the professors, or ignored in his presence by any one of the girls that went doe-eyed when he was around. Still, Jimmy tried to keep his frosty expression from creeping too far into his voice. <sighs> Come on, Chopper. We're in the middle of auditions, and Adonis wants her back inside. Well, I think I saw her heading back to the dorms. Jimmy lied with a smile growing on his face. Say, I heard someone saw Janice the other day. Apparently she just left for home. <laughs> Probably couldn't take it any longer. Jimmy snickered as he watched the spark of hope light and then flicker out on Willem's face before he picked up his pace, now determined to trail the small group of students to the gallery. Willem was left flat-footed, a sour grimace growing on his face as Jimmy loped away across campus. With no sign of Whittle, Willem turned back to the auditorium, belatedly realizing that the emergency exit door had no exterior handles, and so began the much longer walk back through the main entry to the building. As a small group entered the lower hall, everything appeared as it had in her dream. The lower door of the gallery had been taped to prevent it from locking, the small mudroom had the same orientation of stools, and the map was spread in the center of the small raised table. This time, however, all eyes were on Cassie. The dreams I'm having are real. I knew it! exclaimed Ludo, as if he had just solved an amazing riddle. Uh... Apparently, I need to be brought up to speed. You mentioned dreams, seeing the future. What's going on, Cassie? Whittle's voice was tight and tinged with no small amount of worry, which surprised Cassie more than the consternation she heard in her voice. I've seen her there. That must mean... Whoa. Concluded Ludo, as if suddenly realizing that if her dreams were real... His must be as well. One at a time, Ludo, scolded Sarah, as if she hadn't just blurted out her own exclamation a moment ago. Turning to Cassie, Sarah settled herself onto a stool and continued. From the beginning, everything. And Ludo, take notes. Thus, Cassie found herself facing her friends and recounting to them everything that she could remember about the mysterious dream world she had been visiting since she was a little girl. It all started a few months before my mother disappeared. Wait, what? Your mother disappeared? You mean, like the students? Hush, Ludo. Let her speak. Ordered Whittle, with a sad smile directed toward Cassie. Having talked with her at length about her mother during the climbing trips they had been taking on weekends. I've always thought they were dreams, but I guess I should have known better. For a year or so, I would try things out, you know, see what I could do. I found out that I couldn't take electronics, but things like my clothes, thankfully, and my sketch pad, pencils, they would all go back and forth. As for the dream world itself, I haven't seen that much of it. I always wake up inside a small cave, and as long as I go back to that small cave, I can wake up in my bed. Otherwise, I just stay in the dream world. It's always cold, snowy, always cloudy in twilight. Time doesn't seem to change at all there. 
For some time, Cassie shared what she could remember about the dream world. She described the great rocky cliff and the cavern and stream. She showed them some of the drawings of the place, including sketches of the strange glyphs that were etched into the cavern walls and in odd places on the ground all around the opening. Are there any people? Anything else alive there? This time it was Sarah asking the question as the others looked on, all of them absorbed completely in her tale. I see prints in the snow. I hear animal calls and other sounds. But I've never seen anything else until last night. Jimmy had followed the small group to the back side of the gallery and found the door handily propped open. For some time, he had simply waited outside for them to exit, assuming that they eventually would need to, and that would allow him to catch them by surprise in the midst of breaking a school regulation, which would give him leverage to learn more about what they were up to without exposing himself. But as the evening crept on, he began to edge closer to the door and had just grasped the handle and tugged gently on it when the sound of footsteps behind him caused him to lurch around, letting the door close with a soft thud. What are you doing, Chopper? Planning on mischief with the first years again? Whipping around, Jimmy found himself staring up into the too familiar face of Willem. And what's it to you, Dudley? I just saw the door propped open and was checking on it. No harm in that, is there? Besides, big boy, what brings you to the back of the gallery? Fancy trying the finger paints? I was out for a jog. Saw someone snooping around and thought I'd have a look. Seems like I was just in time. Careful, Dudley. With so many students disappearing these days, you might want to keep your insufferable nose in your own business. But word has it that parents are getting a nice payout, so perhaps Daddy would get a better return on his investment if you did disappear. Jimmy sneered as he shoved his way past the larger scholar. He was getting hungry as it was, and the little information he'd gained would be rewarded in any case. Waiting until Jimmy had cleared the corner of the building, Willem slipped quietly into the rear of the gallery. He wanted to see what had been of such great interest to Jimmy for himself. No, no, this isn't a coincidence. There has to be a connection between the disappearances in these dreams. Are you sure you've not heard any other voices? Seen any other people there? Sarah was staring intently at the small map with its markings as she spoke. Like I said, unless you think our mascot could come to life, that was the first living thing that I've seen. But, but I did hear singing. Maybe a voice? Singing? W what kind of singing? Singing! Singing! You know, don't worry me! Just, just, ah, singing! He means female voice. Male voice. Was it a song that you have heard before? Female? I'm pretty sure it was female. I feel like I've heard it before, but I was... I don't know, just notes. Like... Da-da-da, da-da. Cassie wasn't a musician and had never pretended to be, so wasn't sure that she was even singing the song she had heard correctly. But as she sang those few notes, she saw Whittle stiffen immediately. It sounded a lot like the song you were singing, Whittle, the night the guards disappeared. I guess I didn't really connect it until now. 
That's exactly what I was singing. It's part of the infinitum. It's, it's... It's the tune that was playing on Janice's digital player the day she disappeared. Whittle leaned in toward Cassie, her voice dropping as she spoke in a hush with a realization that was dawning on her. You might have heard Janice. If, if these dreams are real, maybe, maybe Janice is still alive. What do you mean Janice is still alive? All four of them nearly leapt out of their skin at the unexpected fifth voice that confronted them from just outside the mudroom doorway. Willem! Look, uh, Willem, I, I swear we had nothing to do with it. Whittle's normally strong voice sounded hollow, frightened. Cassie had never heard her like this. I've been here long enough. If any of you have information about Janice, you'd better tell me now. The voice indeed belonged to Willem, whose athletic body filled the frame of the door. His normally cheerful countenance had been replaced by something much darker, something almost dangerous. It's not what you think, Willem. Please, I swear to you. Cassie noted absently in the midst of her shock that Whittle had stepped between Willem and herself and was pleading with a senior scholar who looked to be on the breaking point. Then somebody better start talking now. Cassie Cole is voiced by the amazing J.D. Rose from Goodham Productions. Sarah Dawson and Aunt Noni are voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Willem Marshall IV is voiced by Storm S. Cohn from Goodham Productions. Whittle Apple is voiced by Dietrich Marie Bowie. Headmistress Pearl Floquet is voiced by Rachel Finley from Goodham Productions. Ludo Van Ness is voiced by Adam Legrave from The Tall Grass Podcast. Janice Tremaine is voiced by Beth Yadden. Bentley the Bus Driver and Master Grimpen Galleon are voiced by Brad Zimmerman from The Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon and Fate of Ison Podcast. Jimmy and Bobby Franks are voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews Reviews Podcast. Mistress Cressida McLean is voiced by Julie Miller from the Podville Podcast. Master Bale Adonis is voiced by Corbin Miller from the Podville Podcast. Mistress Cynthia Zeltrix is voiced by Haley Munoz from Goodham Productions. Molly O'Dyne is voiced by Susanna Lewis from the Thornvale Podcast. Trevor Dawson is voiced by Cody Miller from Goodham Productions. Alastair Montrose and Willem Marshall III are voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Mistress Audrey Maud is voiced by Kate Willinga from the Ignorance Was Bliss podcast. Garrett Black and Harvey Kettle are voiced by Mike Atchley from Goodham Productions. Lanana is voiced by Brian Dowling from Goodham Productions. The Ningalix is voiced by Jolene Fresquez from Goodham Productions. 
The music, singing, bully, and sound effects are all original creations of our insanely talented cast and crew at Goodham Productions. Please join us in applauding the tremendous talent of these wonderful friends and creators, and be sure to discover a whole new range of fantastic content as you explore each of our shows, podcasts, and creative endeavors. To learn more, visit us online at goodhamproductions.com. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe, and if you love the show, we'd love to hear and read your reviews.